You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life Be real! Welcome one and all to a movie reviewing, reappraising, genre-hopping podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network. This is Be Real. My name's Chance Solem Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. How are you, friend? As I texted you earlier, I hit the ATM and took out, took out $10,000 in ones, <laughs> so I can have this thing going for hours. Even, just, the, even the ones I don't like, I'll still be making it rain. Just one of many things we learned on today's episode, which is about movies that feature male strippers. One could ask, how'd you guys get to this category? Especially just one month after Unless Fun you know with us nuns. personally. Yeah. <laughs> Fun with nuns right into male strippers. The uh, the seventh year of Be Real is truly uh, accelerating. <laughs> when they look back on our, the history of Be Real, they'll be like season seven. That's where they just like stop giving a fuck and really yeah. the gold Completely. was minted. Completely. And gold. Oh, that's nice. Nah, jump the yeah. shark. No, no. I think this is when we went from like middling to truly spectacular. I love that for us. Um, as absurd as it is, um, we got here because uh, we wanted to do an episode with Magic Mike as the hook, because that's uh, ten years old this month. We debated just doing best movies about strippers. A little too wide of a category. Magic Mike was the hook. Therefore, we found it our duty as category makers to watch the full Monty from 1997 and Chocolate City from 2015, thus rounding out a male stripper category. And in defense of the category, I would say one of those movies is a real film. <laughs> um, no, I take you- it back. Chocolate City has a, has a sequel and Full Monty just has a Broadway musical. I, I would argue we have once again picked three movies, and I'm all right with it. Incredible. Um, so, we should tell you before we get too far into the show that Be Real is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, where we're always happy to be. You can find such shows as Bingeworthy, The Playlist Podcast, The Discourse, The Fourth Wall, Yellow Stoners. I say again, they just had Kelly Riley. What a coup for that show. You can find the Playlist Podcast Network wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, when you do, please leave a kind rating. Thank you all. Now, let me ask you this, Chance. Do you think Yellow Stoners was affected at all by the recent flooding? Um, Oh, do we think that the podcasters are feeling it? That's a great question. We should contact uh, Mike and Rodrigo and ask. Or did did they have any technical issues because of it? Good joke, good joke, good joke. Okay, so, um, Noah. Sir? Stripper movies? Overarching thoughts? What do you Love got? Love them. Love them? <laughs> Had a great time. Wonderful couple days. Okay. I I was throwing out, I was making it rain critical love uh, while watching all three of these movies. No, in, in seriousness, so I had seen Magic Mike when it came out. Yes. Because it was a cultural phenomenon. And mm-hmm. yeah, and then I, I, I don't know. I, it comes up in, in, in polite conversation, I would say. 
family dinners, business lunches. The full Monty was like one of those things where like my parents saw it like on a parent date and they were like, oh, a charming film. And then like the second Fox Searchlight comes up when I watched it now, it's like, of course. Um, But it's that kind of movie. And then Chocolate City I'd never heard of uh, until we until we crafted this this genre. If other folks are in the same boat, Chocolate City is a is a VOD movie that essentially premises itself openly on being a black response to Magic Mike because Magic Mike is not diverse enough, which I would argue is correct. Um, totally. So it's got that going for it. My sort of overarching theory about like why these movies work well is in some ways they're just like sexy musicals. So they got that going for them. Um, but two, well, there's no singing. It, let's be clear. Fair, well-known songs, gyrating, two thirds of what you might like about a musical. It's a dance. Uh, movie. They're dance movies. Sure, um, but I think as I started to think more and more about like why these movies kind of make for like a filmmaker's delight, no matter who is stripping, um, you've got this kind of cool like horizon line that happens where the movies get to objectify the bejesus out of the actors. Right. Like that's just part and parcel to the premise of, of stripping and making movies about strippers. But the stories themselves are all premised on like, as these people get better at stripping, that they are in control of the audience, that they are wielding the sexual fantasies of the audience. So the movies really get to have their cake and eat it too, where you don't ever feel bad about like what the camera is doing to the person because the whole story is about how that person has got you, they got everybody in the room. Yes, they're all stories about the agency of the performer. Um, And so, yeah, I think it gives it that sort of interesting a political read on what are, you know, essentially light sex workers uh, turning, you know, using their body to make money. Um, But yeah, I think your point's well taken that you have to inherently root for them to do their thing. And by showing it as like, well, it's a sexy thing. uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It can have its cake and eat it too by not moralizing, but also not, you know, ignoring what's titillating about, you know, why people go to strip clubs. And then on the focusing in on the the male stripper side of things, I think we end up with three movies that are like very sex positive, but also like very heteronormative, um, specifically with like men thinking about like what women want and what they're not getting in other parts of their lives, um, their sex lives right. from their husbands or a culture that would put them down. There, there's definitely dialogue and writing about that in all three scripts. Right. Well, it's, they're all kind of deconstructions of not only masculinity and contemporary masculinity, but the way in which men relate to each other mm-hmm. and sometimes like the secret codes that they kind of have and the little games that they play with each other to just sort of figure out, you know, does this person love me? Uh, and I think the movies here that are brave enough to kind of go for the, I love you, man. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you kind of want to root for characters who are discovering the comfort of like, yeah, I'll put some, I'll put some cream on your leg. Like I'll, I'll have sex with your wife while you watch, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, 
Wait, in what movie does someone have sex with one's wife while watching? Well, uh, Alex Pettiford touches uh, uh, oh, Matt, right. Bomer's Matt Bomer's wife's breasts. Right. Yeah. And then I, the, guess I, I thought the I thought the implication was maybe they like did a little more after too. Oh yeah, I think just a a for a hurricane foursome after that. God, I that is such an incredible. Can we get into these movies? Well, uh, no, because oh. I have to ask you another question. Following Do you love me? I can't stop. Absolutely, and I'll put whatever on your leg needs to go on there. Um, <laughs> We've put uh, sunscreen on each other. Yeah. So. Like a, a a tanning oil? That's not even that. That's so not watching even these any movies farther. was nothing. <laughs> no, I wanted to ask you: Do you think thinking about last month's category and this one? Do you think I have been to more strip clubs or Catholic masses in my life, or even? Is this like a trivia question? Yeah. Strip clubs. Unfortunately, it is one nothing Catholic mass. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I've been to a Catholic mass, but I've also been to a strip club. But I've never been there recreationally. I only did it to do that article that we did for the Daily Nebraskan that never came oh, yeah. out. It never came out. Yeah, they didn't. The The people we interviewed, the, the thesis of the story was all about uh, people paying their way through grad school uh, oh, by right. stripping at the, uh, what was the, what's the one in downtown Lincoln with the neon night light? Be- night before? Night, the night before lounge, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so we—that's the only context in ever, I've ever been in a strip club as a as a journalist. The last thing I want to say before we get into it is, I think, and I just want to tip my hat now. I think in our selection of these three movies, we are probably missing the best two uh, male stripper routines in movie history because they're both in Magic Mike XXL. Um, do you want to talk about that real quick? I think it's Joe Manganiello in the in the gas station. And That's pretty good. And then the opening shot with uh, Channing Tatum dancing to Pony with his like welder, where he's like welding and he's like, I've given up the life. And then Pony comes on the radio. He's like, ah, it's still in me. <laughs> yes. It still moves my soul. Um, and that movie's really great because I think it leans even harder into just like the dance aspect and sort of pulls off this kind of, um, you know, the, the, the stripper being away from the, the stage. And giving mm-hmm. it kind of like this light flash mob quality that's like super character based. Um, so, tip of the cap. We didn't want to do two Magic Mike movies in the three, but I'll do respect to those scenes. We'll circle back to Magic Mike XXL. We'll do. We'll do Magic Mike XXL, Chocolate City Vegas Chocolate trip, City, Las Vegas, oh, yeah. <laughs> and we'll go to a play version of the Full Monty, and we'll get back to you for another. I'm sure by that time they'll have made like the movie musical version of the play based on the movie, and then we so, can watch that and circle back. Male Strippers Part Two coming to you in seven years. Um. All right, Noah, Magic Mike, sir, Magic Mike, 2012. A male stripper teaches a younger performer how to party, pick up women, and make easy money. I don't know if I love that one. I don't think that's a great synopsis. I think it's a male stripper teaches a 19-year-old fuck up how mm-hmm. to find a trade. Good evening. You live here? Yeah. Yeah? What's your name? Kim. Kim, can you move back for me, please? We keep getting complaints of noise and underage drinking. Everybody sit down. We're going to be here for a while. 
You don't have anything sharp on you that I can stick myself with, do you? No. Good. Because I do. The businesses that I manage, they deal exclusively in cash. Wow, busy guy. <laughs> We're welcome to stage, the one, the only. Magic Mike. You are the husband that they never had. You are that dreamboat guy that never came along. That's a cool table. But you made that? Hmm? You should sell these things. That's actually the idea. My sister? Mike. Uh, oh, nice thank one. You, Mike. So how do you know my brother? I'm an entrepreneur. I uh, manage a few businesses. I'm trying to hit on my sister. Okay, uh, good talk. Entrepreneur stripper, stripper entrepreneur. Either one. I was hoping this was all a joke. Oh, it's pretty funny. Channing Tatum really just like rockets him to sex icon status. Yep. And in an instant. In an instant, and rightfully so. He is uh, charisma incarnate in this one. He will do anything. He looks good hopping on a roof. He looks good dancing to whatever in a group by himself with a with a friend from the audience solo. Incredible. Even putting all of the the athletic prowess and the performer, the physical performer prowess aside, like just the movie positions him as a total movie star for pretty much the until he gets like deep into not telling um Cody Horn his love interest like the truth about what's going on with Adam he pretty much cannot and does not say anything wrong for the first hour of the movie there's there's one point where he like shows up at his love interest door uh Cody Horn plays Adam's sister um Adam is the 19 year old Channing Tatum's taken under his wing um and he's like drunk and he's trying to get them to come to a party and he's saying things like well if you're turning down a party out on the bar you better have some epic plans it's like even when he's a drunk idiot banging on your door at seven in the morning, he's got exactly the right thing to say. Totally. Yeah. And his whole like reversal when he's like, Oh, uh, your brother mentioned breakfast and she's like, yeah. I'm not cooking you fucking breakfast. He must've been drunk. If he said that he's like, no, 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 Like that you like breakfast. Like I'm inviting you to breakfast. Right. I'll be outside with all the other breakfast enthusiasts. Exactly. Love that. So yeah, he's charm. really got that charm too. And then he has the movie is smart to give his character kind of that. I mean, in this, it's the the 2008 housing crisis where he just like the interest rates are up and he like cannot get a loan because he's got such terrible credit because he's a cash based person and also like a little bit of an idiot. And uh, I think it's also interesting that the movie gives him like Olivia Munn, because it sort of opens with the, oh man, this guy can get any girl in the world. Like what a cool cat. And by the end of it, you realize that he can have sex with anyone he wants to, but he can't like form a connection with anybody he wants to, which is such a, uh, as a medium looking person, such a richer way to look at the world. As someone who has not been asked to star in any of the Mike spinoffs uh, mm-hmm. or sequels, I I related to that. Yeah. At least, at least until... I have meaningful relationships, he <laughs> shouted at the screen. I feel like when uh, 
Magic Mike 3, Magic Mike's Last Dance comes out, though. He's going to have that one on you, too. Totally. Um, which I believe they're filming now. I had a quote here from yes. uh, Channing Tatum where he said about the new film, It's going to be pretty bonkers. We're kind of going to swing for the fences. There never needs to be another stripper movie after this one. <laughs> <laughs> I said with the confidence of uh, Mike Ma- uh, Magic Mike himself. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's supposed to be like, I guess, like a sort of a pretty woman setup is what also oh how he described it. Um, it'll probably be great. I think looking back 10 years later, Channing Tatum really kind of was the, was the takeaway for me. Because we should say too, Steven Soderbergh directed, of course. Um, it was written by uh, Reed Carolyn, who... Uh, often writes and produces Channing Tatum projects. He wrote and produced his new movie Dog that came out earlier this year, but he's a producer on Logan Lucky and the other Magic Mike movie and just pretty much anything Channing Tatum is a part of. Um, but yeah, it just got me thinking about his stardom and like how we probably underrate him as a movie star. And this year, Dog and Lost City are two of like the biggest original movies that we've had that are totally. based on nothing and because people want to see Channing Tatum. And I think, I think he's he 40, knows how to so fill a room. He does. He's 42. And I, I was happy to know we got this other Magic Mike movie coming. But I'm also like, you know, before, before all the cartilage gets out of those knees, can we get like just a little more... Can we get him in like a martial arts kind of movie or maybe like a whiplash movie where he's like the dance teacher? Um, I just, I... He I, wants he's some got, serious drama, but to like use his uh, his physical performing skills. I just want to see his physical performance like a little bit, a little bit more. Cause like I... I hear that. I think he's I an think, underrated movie star. I think modern medicine can keep him nimble for at least another 10 or 15 years. <laughs> Have yeah, you seen Cruz? So. He's sixty in that fucking Top Gun. I know, but he's a robot. He, that guy. No, they, I think they do have like similar qualities, mm-hmm. where it's just like they're they can say charming things in a convincing way, but they're you're really there to watch their bodies move around. Totally. Yeah. Um, it goes all the way back to uh, Step Up, which is. The most first time most people saw him in 2006. Exactly. And a couple, as I was making this point, I'm like, ah, there's a couple other ones where I've actually forgotten how um, incredibly he moves. Like Haywire, the other Soderbergh movie, the yes. fighting in that is incredible. He's got the the Gene Kelly knockoff scene in Hail Caesar where he's dancing on the table with right. the sailors. There's other stuff, but and he really like adds in like a, a flavor to what it, what would otherwise be like a rote IP grab in uh, 21 Jump Street. Sure. With his like. I mean, that script gives him enough physical stuff to do that I think, yeah, that that carries on that. Well, both his relationship with Jonah Hill, um, but yeah. Cool. Physical okay. performer. Incredible. He is. Um, I got to tell you, if we're talking about actors, yeah, I did not remember how this movie ended, but like Alex Pettifer, great person to cast if he's going to dick you over in the end. <laughs> he he is the guy. I, I felt a little bad for him as an actor. Well, he's not good. Um, well, he... Okay, so the construction of this movie, in the beginning, I loved it. 
Because I was like, okay, so we're going to watch Magic Mike be kind of like the ingenue of the movie and he comes into the world. It's like, no, you're not. He's already an expert. He's he's kind of somewhere in the middle of his journey. Like he's as good at stripping as he's going to be. And Alex Pettifor, Adam, of course, is the ingenue. Um, and it's a really cool vantage from which to see how awesome Magic Mike is in, you know, roofing and all these other things he wants to do, even if they're not working out. Um, he's like a real, I love the motif of like, you got to stop wearing tennis shoes to things like those are that sort of like uh, jet that generalship that like you not knowing what the uniform for all these different parts of life are. Don't do that. What's well, like uh, your favorite movie cocktail? And this really is more like cocktail or American gigolo, how to make it an America movie than it is about similar really to Magic Mike XXL. Um, right. This one does not really resemble. You're not in, you're not here for the dance numbers. Um, I am. Well, you actually you might have showed up for the dance numbers, but I think the movie is sort of curious. Oh, you're saying the movie isn't here for that? Yeah, the, yeah. The movie the, is not. No, and I think it is in the style of like one of these sort of weirder '60s, '70s, early '80s movies that like had a lot of dancing or had a lot of music in it and kind of a loose plot pulling it along. Um, this one does have kind of the, it's not afraid to be a crime movie ultimately, which I think is smart because I think Soderbergh is really good at the Ocean's Eleven of it all. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, what I appreciated about this one was it wasn't so, I guess I kind of had remembered it being like a little cheesier. Uh, the the kind cheesy. of like, oh, let me take you under my shoulder and teach you the ways kind of thing. But it really is like earned and, you know, of course, it's Soderbergh and his funny little like playing around with lenses and digital shit. So it's like all very docu-realistic. Um, right. But yeah, so I, I this movie really did have kind of a an earnest and literary plot for what is, I think, remembered as a pretty exploitative film. Right. Yeah, I don't it's mean not... exploitative like in the like in the movie sense. Yeah, the movie. Soderbergh almost refuses to participate in the fantasy or in the pleasure. Like he's too, it's too much of an anthropological kind of study for him. And, and even Olivia Munn even is like a ran into him because she was like writing a behavioral science paper or something is what the movie says. And that is, I think kind of Soderbergh's interest. I mean, like the, he shows plenty of dancing and it's great and it's impressive. Um, and people have great bodies, but it's kind of like, you see the the penis pumps and how a bringer show works and how like equity and talent versus management works and like all of these systems. And he's right. not going to let it be too sexy. He's not going to let it be too sexy. But I also think too, he makes it seem like the only place where the colors are the right color is in this bar. 100%. And everything else is fucked up Jaundiced. and like, jaundiced and like on Mars, yeah. you know, the world outside is what's scary. What makes sense is the rich, vibrant, tonally color corrected colors, yep. uh, <laughs> of this, of this kind of pop up strip club that they have. Black and purple. Yeah. There even yeah, is the that beach great scene, scene is they... incredible. Yeah. The whole thing's like, it looks like Benicio del Toro is about to show up and talk about baseball or something. Right. Lights, baseball. Um, yeah, man, I was to come back around though, to Alex Pettifer, like, 
I felt bad though because they it has that great the great setup um of you getting to realize just like oh how cool mike is but by the time you're like halfway through the the adam character is just out on an island of being like oh this guy's just a douche who's messing things up for mike like why why am i even involved with this guy anymore right well that's the thing too and i think that's the more critical question that the the movie asks is like is there a value to this kind of bring you under your wing when you yourself like don't quite know the game. Cause like Mike's, I mean, he's like in a cash only business. He's sort of like, you know, clearly has some tax issues, clearly has some credit issues. And it's like, this guy is not, has not figured out how to like game the system. Totally. He's just figured out how to subsist without getting what he actually wants. No, it's, it's kind of sad actually. Cause there's like a, there's a scene after so McConaughey, do we know Matthew McConaughey's in this movie? Dallas, he's in this mm. movie. <laughs> it's really in that Wolf of Wall Street, like Matthew McConaughey as like Uber man in like the most homoerotic way. This I think is actually the dawn of the McConaughey. Like I know, Incredible. like Killer Killer Joe and such kind of rescued his career, but this is where I think people were like, "Oh shit, that's something." And then I think is that Wolf the guy from Frailty and. <laughs> True Detective or the next year, I think. Um, oh man, I really lost my train of thought. But oh yeah, Ma- Dallas is trying to open up um, a club in Miami, and his whole thing is like, oh yeah, you're investing some of your tips and everything in this club, and you'll get ten percent equity. He ends up like offering them seven and a half um, in this club that he's trying to open. Um, so Dallas really represents this like this next echelon if we're looking at it hierarchically of like you know, you have more than your tips. You have like right. investments and a loan and stuff like that. Um, but Mike is like, oh, fuck you. Like you said 10% and Dallas is kind of barred back to Mike. is like, well, I mean, you know, you're not better than anyone else here. Like you better start working on your own material. And the very next scene is this like, Mike's like, okay, then I worked on my own material. And he does this sort of awesome dance, but there's really no like catharsis in it at all. And I think what you're seeing is somebody... You're seeing like unsupported talent like hit the upper limit of where they can go. And Steven Soderbergh is really interested in that scene and putting a ceiling on what Mike is able to get out of it. It's a good dance. It's not getting him anywhere and it's not any better than anything else in the movie. It's so funny because you can tell that he's clearly taken everyone at face value of all the lies that they've told him, like when the mm-hmm. clearly like some other bank manager has told him some other story about why he can't get a loan. So he then like saved up $13,000 and then came back with it in cash thinking that that would like change his fortunes or something. And then I think, yeah, it's, it's a perfect microcosm too, where McConaughey as just to be, uh, just to, change the subject says like, well, you better work on your routine. Like he doesn't address the underlying labor problem, uh, of the, right. of the performers versus management. But then, you know, McCon- or, uh, magic Mike doesn't have the, the smarts enough to then like see through the shit. Like he's got enough raw talent to subsist, but it costs as much as he has in his pocket to do the thing that he's doing. He's kind of, almost like a half artist 
in a non-artistic field or something like that where it, it, right. it doesn't matter that he like worked out this incredible routine where he's like hanging from the ceiling and spins around like 60 times at unbelievable speeds and then just goes right into like dancing perfectly with no no wooziness and no break um, incredible he and really there's no is cut in the in the film no, too not at all but i think he's falling prey to that thing that like is just like a really sad uh, product or byproduct of our system of just being like, if I just like get really, 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 really good at my thing, like that'll break it, right? And it's kind of like, nah, no, probably not, not necessarily. No. That's not necessarily the thing. No, not a meritocracy. Um, oh man, did you ever feel like the movie was being sort of um like withholding of oh, sexiness my. at all? Nothing worse than sexiness withheld. <laughs> What do you mean? Did you ever wish that the movie would say, like, encourage you to enjoy the onstage routines a little bit more as opposed to studying them and then showing you, like, what they mean in this, like, larger failure of a, of a workplace? No, I don't think it spends too much time, like, on deconstructing it i feel like it especially towards the end it really does have joy uh in some of these i don't know it, i feel like it gives context to kind of the emotions of dances that you otherwise would just be like "Ooh, that really muscly guy is really muscly and sexy and mm -hmm. he's got good moves but i feel like because you know that mike is getting fucked like from every nice thing he's tried to do for people. Like it adds the spinny dance. Like it adds a certain, you know, a pathos to the, the spinny dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess sometimes I, I guess I'll answer my own. I agree with you, but I'll answer my own question. I, I think that sometimes it's, it, especially where the end of the movie goes, where Mike is like, well, I have to, I guess I just have to get out of this, get out of this game and go find, something truer in the form of this woman who um, has kind of judged my lifestyle. Um, talking about Brooke, of course. Um, and he's just like back in the jaundiced world. And I'm like, I, I, I wondered sometimes if Soderbergh was being too smart to have a little fun. But the, I, I then I think the last moment of the movie where she like gets up really fast from the table and kind of like pecks him on the lips with sort of being like mm, this this kineticism this passion is in everyone and it can be beautiful when it comes out serendipitously interesting i almost took that last beat to mean more like oh he's going to find his audience elsewhere yeah nice that's hopeful yeah god we 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 wish the best for for magic mike. mr mike <laughs> Mr. Mike. <laughs> Magic I being think his first name. In the <laughs> I think in the next movie he goes on a great road trip with his friends and uh Wow. He, he I, learns I really want to watch this. He learns about um diversity being important, which how in Tampa, Florida he wound up on a, a team of five out of six white dudes, I'm not sure. But that's the kind of stuff that makes Chocolate City a movie. I couldn't agree with you more. Tampa's a pretty diverse town, and they only have... Tito, I think, is the only non-white dude, right? Yeah, it is a pretty homogenous 
right. group of beautiful men. It's interesting too. I think the next movie with like the Jada Pinkett Smith kind of Madame character and Donald Glover and Michael Strahan uh, doing routines. I think they're in New Orleans. Maybe the next movie almost is kind of like I don't know. Posits that it's like teaching these dudes something about like what they owe, like what's possible and what maybe they owe a broader performance community. It's interesting. We'll have to see where Last Dance goes. You know, if, if there's one thing I like doubted in these movies, it was never like the experience of the strippers and sort of how hard they have to work and what all goes on beyond the scenes and what they feel like when it's going terrifically. I believe all that and I believe. For the, in a lot of ways, it coheres with what actual sex workers would say about their jobs. Um, I wasn't. What? Do, how is the um, veracity? Do you think of these kinds of clubs where just hundreds of people cram as close as they can to a catwalk, at the all at the same time, all at the same pitch, never at anything less than a shriek. Hundreds of people throwing thousands of dollars onto the stage. Do we think that's... Did you ever doubt that? I would have thought an interesting scene would have been like what a weird slow night looks like. Yeah, what does it look like on a Tuesday? Well, they're only open from Thursday to Saturday. That's smart. Okay. Let's see, this is why... established. There's a shot of this. The This is why I can't fucking open that club on Miami Beach because I keep saying we'll be open mostly on Tuesdays. Yeah, you're the the Monday to Wednesday strip club guy. They won't give me the loan. They won't give you the loan, even with your bag of $13,000. No, the guy said... (laughs) Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, a slow night would be good. No, I... And Chocolate City, too, we'll get to it. In the the several sort of logistical questions I have for that film, it's... (laughs) Like, what happens when, well, there's a scene in Chocolate City and there's a similar scene in Magic Mike where they kind of lay out how everyone's paid. And it's like, you have to pay the house 50 bucks no matter how much money you make. And it's like, well, then show us the fucking scene where someone goes up there and like dances their heart out and makes $49. (laughs) Totally. I actually have one more question for you. Oh, all of these movies seem to posit that getting on stage, getting money thrown at you, becoming a stripper for the very first time is pretty easy. What do you think about... I've only found the opposite to be true. <laughs> I've, t- I've paid for all the courses. I took a... Yeah, I took an online... I, I audited an online course... Um, I go out there in my coveralls, I undo the first button, they start to boo, and then I go back. Chance sent me all these core workout YouTube videos. <laughs> that and was for your back. Never, nevertheless, uh, I, I, I have yet to get a call back on any of the auditions that I've gone out for. And amateur night, I've, I've never made more than $49. I've always had to pay a buck for the privilege. Well, I did think it's a nice, it's a nice, even though it strains credulity a little bit, they kind of send him out, they send Adam out there and they're just like, take off your clothes. They know it's amateur night, but they do the very smart thing, which is mostly unremarked upon by, they just put like a virgin on behind him as if to signal to everyone involved that like this guy's character is that he is the newbie. And yep. like, that's actually part of the hotness, I guess, is that he's not so practiced. Um it works well in this movie, but it's just a funny thing. 
It is a funny trope. Um, but yeah, it is that kind of thing in all these movies. It's, you know, even really in Full Monty, too. It's kind of like, oh, these guys get it pretty quickly. <laughs> Shall we tell people how we rate movies on this here podcast? On Be Real, we rate movies in two categories. A good or bad for technical quality and a good or bad for watchability. So what are the four possible ratings? I don't care! Good, good movies are both well-made and highly entertaining. The Fugitive, Parasite, Rear Window, or The Hunt for Red October. Once more, we play our dangerous game. Good, bad movies are often impressive technically, but also tough sits. Historical melodramas like The Mission, horror movies too scary or gross to rewatch, or self-serious musicals like Yentl. Papa, can you hear me? Conversely, bad good movies are highly flawed but still gratifying. Nonsensical hangouts like Hot Tub Time Machine or ludicrously fun action fare like Twister or Stargate. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. Bad, bad movies are neither well-made nor entertaining. Examples we've covered unfortunately include Garden State, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Attack of the Clones. I'm deeply sorry, master. Got all that? Time for a rating. I'm terribly sorry, master. (laughs) You've been watching Hayden in the Disney Plus series? Can't say that I have. He's older. Ewan McGregor's not aging. Ewan looks great. That's one of the funny things about that show is people being like, you still got it, you old fuck? Like, this is the (laughs) handsomest guy I've ever seen in my life. Look at his hair. You kidding yeah. me? The hair of Great a fifty-one-year-old. Great beard. You were supposed to be the chosen one. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I think Magic Mike is a bona fide good. Good. Damn. For all, is that is it for all the reasons you've said? It's for all the reasons that I've said, okay. and then some that I haven't. What are some of the ones you haven't said? You want the Let's leave it those? a mystery. Okay. <laughs> this is not a full nude show. You got to leave a little bit uh, for the imagination. Very good. Noah's got great points that he just simply didn't have the time to bring up. <laughs> for the sake of interest, I'm going to give this one a good bad. Um, what? I felt that Soderbergh got in his way, his own oh way, a little bit God. sometimes. This is there, the, the there is a the way sexy there, the sexy wall you're talking about. The this sexy is the sexy. This is the sexy wall. No, but there it's not a. Is the second movie better than the first one? Probably not, but it's certainly better at letting these incredibly talented fun actors be fun. And there's a way in which Soderbergh is like. This is too interesting to be fun, you guys. Um, And you can see it with just like, you're at such a distance from like the other dudes in the crew. I mean, you talk, you want to praise the hang, but I, I'm not sure. Like, I don't really know where Matt Bomer and Kevin Nash and especially Joe Manganiello, who's such a fun screen presence. I don't know where they fit in other than like being fuck ups, according to this movie. And I think that it's just so ripe. Like Soderbergh almost left it too ripe for the second movie to reclaim like an old all banana. The, all the possible fun. Banana or some other fruit. I don't know, whatever comes to mind. Um, I thought the funniest 
Joe Manganiello joke in the movie was when he hurled that woman like up in the air and then clearly like tweaked his lower back. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, no, 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 no. That's it. That's it. I think it, it, I totally disagree with whatever you just said. Um, You heard what I said. Well, I still, I disagree with it nonetheless. All right. I don't like Steven Soderbergh movies. I've never said anything nice about them. Stop. You love even the most mediocre Steven Soderbergh movies. Unsane is a good good. (laughs) Is it the Claire Claire Foy one? Bubbles should be released theatrically now. Is it the one in the doll factory? Yeah. Full Monty, 1997, six unemployed steel workers form a male striptease act. The women cheer them on to go for, quote, the full Monty, M dash, total nudity. <laughs> you don't have to do the M dash for the Yanks. We could have figured out what full Monty meant. I think these last two clauses here are unnecessary to understand what this movie's about. The full Monty is just a playful, it does refer to an all nude act, but I don't know that like you needed to spell that out in the IMDb synopsis. It was also a pre-existing expression that meant like, you know, the whole kit and caboodle, the whole 10 yards. It doesn't. Oh yeah. Is that how you dick. were using it colloquially? Yeah. Me and all my Sheffield friends from the early nineties. We're finished, Dad. Extincto. Yesterday's news. Shut it. Some of us are trying to get a job. Hey, and it says no smoking. You forget, Gerald, you're not our foreman anymore. You're just like the rest of us. Scrap. If you were out of work... Get a job. If you want joint custody, then you have to pay your share. And out of luck. Now what? Sure, I'm thinking. You'd do anything... You call them Chippendales, man. ...to turn your life around. How many lasses were there, though? Thousands. It's worth a thought, though, isn't it? But these men... I don't see why not, Gerald. Because you're fat and he's thin and you're both ugly. ...have come up with a plan... No, not doing it. Come on, Dave, don't stop now. ...that's going to get them a lot of exposure. A laughing stock, totally. We can either forget it or do it and just maybe get rich. This is crazy. They may not have the talent for it. Dancers have coordination, fitness and grace. The bodies for it... The less I eat, the fatter I get. So stuff yourself and get thin. Or the stomach for it. I think I'm gonna be sick. But when you've got nothing to lose... Breath! This lot go all the way. You lot. You've got nothing to hide. That would be worth a look. We've sold 200 tickets. No one said anything to me about the full Monty. Let me just get this joke out now. In a world where stripping at the local community center with your friends doesn't bring in the money that it used to. These are just the kind of guys that are going to vote to leave the EU in 20 years. I would say that there's a straight line between the full Monty and Brexit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think to that point too, I think this movie is really, really smart in, especially for non UK audience people in really getting into the bill of goods that was sold about Sheffield's that led to the current economic moment. So Mm -hmm. the movie begins with the opening title sequence of just this like 
1950s, like stupid, like here in Sheffield, the discotheques are open every night and business is booming. You can have your own grill and a, a, a you know, a car and a two bedroom house, a three bedroom house, you know, that kind of thing. It's a real like a uh, like Chamber of Commerce commissioned thing yes. in the early 70s. That's so funny. And then they cut to, of course, the actual kind of like Danny Boyle truth of, you know, what this town is like. And it's like this crumbling kind of has been pseudo urban suburban space where the industry is gone. Uh, You know, and I think that's, I mean, this is a kind of a tale as old as time here, which is sort of an interesting way to position. Yes. These five men who have tied their identities to working at this steel mill, you know, it's the same kind of, you know, when we question of like, oh, there's like, why are these people waiting for the coal mine to come back? You know, right. it's the same kind of thing of like, well, we're chasing that dream that you sold us in this, you know, this advert from 30 years ago. Um, well, this is where we are. And then, you know, you've got the quintessential Gaz, which is played by Robert Carlyle, who's like the ex-con ne'er-do-well who hasn't been able to hold down a job uh, or make, uh, you know, his child support payments uh, for however many years and is always like coming up with a new scheme. Uh, and, you know, after stumbling into a an all-male review, uh, decides that's that's the way to... That's the way to get it done uh, by also mm-hmm. leaning into because again, much like Magic Mike, Gaz has this kind of charm about him that's you begrudgingly give give him the hundred quid because like what else can you do? And he's best friends with Mark Addy, who plays Dave. Love uh, Dave, who folks would recognize in recent times as uh, King Robert Baratheon from Game of Thrones. Oh, Big uh, Bob, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Big Bob gets gored by the boar or whatever. He definitely <laughs> get go- he got gored by the boar. He got boar gored. Um, he got boar gored. And I love, I actually think that Dave kind of outshines Gaz in this movie. Because like Gaz's totally. motivation to do this is because he needs 700 pounds to pay for child support. So as like not to lose full custody of his son, which is fine. But it's like a script, you know, your classic script motivation contrivance. Right, right. Whereas... Mark Addy plays Dave with a kind of like cuteness and vulnerability and inability to express himself. He's like a broken person who has this this idea that in addition to being sort of economically suppressed, um, has clearly felt bad about his weight his whole life. And this idea right. is, like br- is really bringing that out. Um, and he's, you know... His friend is con Gaz is kind of constantly treating him like the fat sidekick, um, and his wife just like wants him to be more comfortable with himself so they can be like happy in their home and have like a normal sex life. Um, he could really use a win. So like when all this, you know, of course, they don't like. It's not some horrible tragedy that happens at the end of Full Monty. Not to spoil it, it's very gratifying when this routine goes well. They're all today. dead by the end. <laughs> yeah. They're all crushed by a falling steel beam. Call that irony. They all finally get in a line for once, and then the steel beam just ka-chung. Yes. Um, no, it is a it is a, a ultimately a happy redemption story, which is great. Uh, best thing about it. Uh, but yeah, I think the the Dave character is so fascinating because I feel like 
Gaz we've seen, you know, again and again in these kinds of movies um, where just like you want to believe that you, much like the son character, you want to believe that this guy's going to turn it around. It's just one more thing. Um, but Dave is a far more complex character because also like the big joke of the movie is that like he's not that fat. Like right. he's he's overweight, sure, but he's not like morbidly obese, you know, and he ultimately like doesn't look any weirder than any of these other fucking guys who mm-hmm. are not exactly that attractive, save for the one guy. Um, right. Can we talk about, so you already said at the beginning, like this was a move, a Fox searchlight movie, your parents liked in 1997. I had it in my head that it was definitely like kind of early Sundance core. Sure. Um, but I think I underestimated this is this was a big movie. It was a huge hit. Uh, Two hundred fifty-eight million internationally. Yeah, um, it only had like a ten million dollar budget or whatever. Yeah. Well, and you know what a nut I am for inflation in these box office stats. Um. So it did. It did forty-eight domestic. Go on. And using our old box office pump on today's episode. By today's standards, that's like ninety. It's like ninety-one million. It, this movie made as much. As many people saw the full Monty in the U.S. as just saw the fucking Fantastic Beast Dumbledore movie. Oh, the Crimes of Grindelwald. Yeah, Book of Book of Mormon. Book of Dum- Book of Morbius. Um, <laughs> uh, Secrets of Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, what was right. it called? I, who can say? Yeah, and it was that's a best picture nominee. Remember when the when independent films like stood a chance? I do. Well, sort of. They st- they still got beat by Titanic. They didn't stand that kind of chance, but I think this movie really benefits from a really good soundtrack. It does have a good soundtrack. Hot stuff. Mhm. Uh, Sexy hot thing. chocolate. Or sexy thing, yeah. Buy hot chocolate, yeah. Um, yeah. What a feeling from Flashdance, which it makes fun Incredible. use of. Incredible. Yes, it it has enough, much like Chocolate City, it has enough reference points to the stripping movies that came before it, the dancing movies that came before it, uh, to to give it a little uh, authenticity. And they have that kind of like, uh, I know I've already used this reference once, but there's kind of like that very subtle involuntary flash mob moment where they're all in the unemployment line and like what a feeling comes on over the radio I love and they that. all just start kind of imperceptibly <laughs> like humping the air. I was right there with them. Yeah. You know, who's just a full on badass in this one is uh, one Tom Wilkinson. It's great to see Wilkinson as sort of like this kind of tall dashing. Yeah. And dashing he- like sort of older man. Yeah, and also he's sort of like stuffy and uncool, right, compared to sort of these like, you know, the soccer hooligans that used to work for him. Um, right. But yeah, he's like a, he's a pretty fun dancer probably because he's a trained actor in real life. Um, but yeah, he's he's a good time. I think that Addie and Wilkinson kind of steal the show from Carlisle, to be honest. Yes, I think that... Wilkinson's his also the the cosmic question of like how can he be a man to his wife if he can't buy her a tanning bed with his like bloated salary uh is such an interesting 
like late 20th, early 21st century question um, that I think he bears the brunt of. But then he also has this weird dynamic where he's not like kind of a, not necessarily like a corporate stooge in the traditional polished way. He's like, he has kind of these Fraser like things of appreciating music and art and dance and sort of seeing that as the, at least his quiet kind of reason to be. Yeah, he sort of like has the sophisticated taste of middle management, but has yes. now been like thrust down with all the people that had to work for him because like the system didn't help him either. The big weak point of this movie, and this just goes back to the kind of like, even though it made a ton of money, it's just kind of that like middleweight feel good indie movie thing is like when it actually has to move the plot along with like, wait, why are people doing what they're doing? Like some of the some of the writing is a little bit lame. Well, there's something questionable about having the stripping itself be this act of desperation, Mm. like whether it's Pettifer in Magic Mike or whether it's all these guys in Full Monty, all three of these movies like don't leave a ton of room for like, maybe people do this because that's what they want to do. Sure. It like is either a you know, fulcrum for male change or self-actualization, or it is like, oh, I need the money so desperately or my mother's power is going to get turned off. Right. I have no other choice. You have no other choice. Yeah. So it's not, these are not maybe as sex forward as they are. Like they're not that like stripper positive, I would say. To your point, Sheffield is definitely a big enough town that there's a strip club in town. Maybe there should have been a scene where they like went and talked to or recruited a an actual professional stripper to try to join their join their group. Yeah. That could have been interesting. Then they have like a, next scene they have a feast. A feast? No. <laughs> um yeah, I they just kind of like there were probably were ways to incorporate um characters who could have taught them more about the world in a smarter in Yeah, a I smarter guess the way. one thing one questionable thing to go along that point that I had with this movie is like it didn't really explore the businesses or like the enterprises that existed even for people who don't have any money. Right. Like there wasn't that they like very seldom even like went to the bar. Right. They're just like, I mean, I guess if they have zero dollars, they're not doing that. But they're always like, you know, pulling out packs of cigarettes and like pulling out sandwiches and beer and stuff. It's like, where are they getting those things? I think maybe seeing they do interact with the one, the bar owner that they perform it, uh, where they perform at the end. But like seeing more into that world, I think would have because presumably even before the steel mill left, there was, yeah, a strip club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of. There's a lot of cool like out like exterior shots, but it's they are just hoofing it around town with their hands jammed in their pockets for most of the right. movie. Yeah, I think more of the kind of um, the script goofiness comes in with like so obviously at the beginning they're all going to have their response to this idea in this kind of toxically masculine way of like well only a gay man would be a stripper um, right. or. Gaz has like a very, I think, telling response upon seeing the kind of Chippendales thunder down under 
poster where he's like he he can't you know he he can't be like that guy has a bad body because the guy has an amazing body but he goes right for to be like well look at look at the poster he has no dick like he's got to find something where he can be like that's not a real man (laughs) right he he wins that comparison uh in his own mind um i think some of those insecurities like hang on to the plot preposterously long like up until the final moments before they're all going out on stage gaz is like it was supposed to be women only and now he like won't it's such a it's such a like what's the very last like hurdle what's the last off overcome in the plot it's like come on just fucking go out there (laughs) yeah go out there jesus christ we're all ready for this I'm going to say, though, you had problems with Magic Mike with, like, the supporting team. I really thought the supporting team here, well, was done well in Magic Mike, but also in full Monty, colon. I really liked Lomper, Steve Hoosen. Is that Uh, the guy in the brass band? The guy in the brass band who they find killing himself in the first... uh, first couple of scenes which i thought was so funny that he mm-hmm. like just doesn't re- he fixes his car so he can then die from uh, uh smoke inhalation or uh, carbon monoxide poisoning um and then i thought paul barber as horse was pretty hilarious uh, yeah he really like brings a kind of uh because he can dance you know other than his dodgy knee uh he's pretty good i think it's a hip and then oh, he does the, hip. right, right, right. But then he does. And then the Hugo the Spear is guy. Guy ends up being gay, which I think works. I think that allows Lomper to kind of come out of his thing after his mother dies. We love that for him. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's funny that these guys, other than their occupation, which goes from steelworker to uh, stripper, uh, other than that, they're like totally disparate in what they have going on in their lives. In, right. in a pretty like fascinating way and kind of speaks to the tragedy of, you know, this diverse ecosystem that was able to exist when there was that like core business now, which is, which is gone and mm-hmm. cannot be repaired. I actually like to the little bit about in the, the montage after uh guy and Lomper hook up and, and start their relationship. Guy is then running in the park and gets sort of like cat called by some of the women who know that he's going to be in the show. And, despite the fact that we know him to be a gay man, like you see him take like a very earnest pleasure in like, this is kind of the, the attention. There's a value to this attention for him um, as a would be performer that he, that totally that he's going to like. I think they all have those little moments where they like, you know, get their chance to shine. uh, And then it's all sort of, you know, punctuated by the, the final dance routine, which is pretty hilarious. Um, what do it you is. think of the subplot of like the sun hanging out or like the, that part of the movie? Are you asking, did my, did an internal sense of conservatism ever kick in where I was like, should the kid be, be looking here? at that guy's dick? <laughs> I mean, there is a pretty overt scene where guy pulls out his sex negative on any of these movies. Noah, you know, I mean, when you read the like the headline that's on the local paper where it's like steel strippers busted and then the subhead is like child found with them, it's like, well, (laughs) I mean, all of that is demonstrably true. (laughs) Nathan, 
Nath knew. He, Nath just wants the best for his dad. I don't think there was any ever anything sexual about any of this. Oh. I think it was all about, and if anything, it was probably a growth experience to see how men of the previous generation behave around each other and around nudity. And that will, you know, I bet he wrote a hell of a memoir, this fictional <laughs> character. Yeah, that kid actually wrote the play that came from this movie. No, that's right. not true. That's not true. Um, I think this movie is a good good. Um, I wasn't a good good. He says maybe like a soft good good. Um, you know, it didn't like rock my world, but it was it was charming throughout. I th- again, I thought Mark Addy gave a really good um, performance, and, and you just need a movie. The uh, Simon Beaufoy's script, which is an original screenplay, he said he like based. What's funny is he said he based it on some of the people that he used to work in a machine shop in Leeds with. Um, although, like, I don't know if they ever tried to strip. So I'm like, where did that part come from, Simon? Yeah. If only I had done 20 more minutes of research. Um, he went on to uh, write lots of Danny Boyle movies like uh, Slumdog Millionaire and 127 Hours. Um, but I, I think the script, like, commits. And the whole time, it's like, you know, one of those kind of slightly twee indie movies where you're like, and the big performance at the end, it's going to solve everything. There's, there's a couple of those at your it film festivals. It does have that like little Miss Sunshine thing about it. Every single year. Yep. Um, <laughs> um, and movies honestly, this my movie, parents would like, sure. It ends in the freeze frame. So you don't even, you don't have to worry about like what happened the next day you don't have to have the scene where like the wife is like you're stripping with so so good baby i am gonna take you back it's like nope the fact that they did it that was the whole thing and that's cute and i'm gonna give it a good good i think i'm there with you i found this movie to be uh very watchable i mean all the guys are super charming and you know the stakes are high for them Uh, i don't know like you know that they're that high you know, in, in like a, a thriller sort of way. Uh, it's sort of a, a light film. Uh, <laughs> pretty light. It's pretty light, but it's a light, again, mo- it's a light Monty. It's a light Monty. Exactly. It's kind of a half Monty, honestly. I don't know that this was ever the full Monty. No. <laughs> Three quarters Monty. No, but I really film- do think it's it's good hang. It's it's definitely well made. Like I think it's so enjoyable how Sheffield the setting is rendered as like a character too, and then like just how insular this world feels. Like is you know oftentimes uh, a challenging thing to pull off to like give it to give their actions real stakes and consequences to make the movie feel a little bit more grounded. Uh, but yeah, and it's you know it's bang bang. It's like ninety minutes. Uh, so yeah, I think that uh, under our, uh, albeit rudimentary, uh, rating system, it's a good good. It's a gentleman's Monty. It's a gentleman's Monty. I tell you Fair. what's not a gentleman's Monty. Mm-mm. It's 2015's Chocolate City. Life for a struggling college student changes in an instant when he meets the owner of a male strip club who convinces him to give Amateur Night a whirl. We sell fantasy, not sex. Sex has an ending. 
fantasy never ends. Now, we gonna add a little chocolate. Hi, Carmen. What are you gonna let me take you out this weekend? You don't even have a car. You gonna pick me up on your bike? And here's your check. It's gonna be tight around here for the next few months. My schedule's been cut. What happened to the dude you met the other night? He said he had a job. I managed this place. Give me a call. Whoa. You'll be fine. They know it's amateur night. Get dressed, you're on in two minutes. The one and only. Dude, what's his name? Sexy Chocolate. Sexy. Did we say this already? In the opening moments of this film, Michael Jai White, who owns the strip club, comes out dressed just like Matthew McConaughey in Magic Mike and yells to the audience, y'all seen Magic Mike? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first he goes, y'all ladies ready to get wet? And I was in then. And then he was like, (laughs) have you all seen Magic Mike? And I was just like, earlier today, Michael. And then I was strapped in for the next 90 minutes of Chocolate City. I have to say, though, from the jump, there's the Matthew McConaughey opening to Magic Mike is so, like, intense. And, like, it has a buildup and, like, a climax. This one really does not have the same level of uh, intensity. Uh I don't know, and I feel like it, it was it 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 did not it set a great tone for the rest of the movie. That it's basically Michael Jai White being like, "Ladies, you're ready to get wet. Have you seen Magic Mike? Well, <laughs> this movie's going to be kind of like that." And then it cuts to a movie that really is kind of like that, but with some chocolate. Doesn't he say that? But with some chocolate. I mean. Right. It's almost like they were cutting the theatrical trailer. Like when I watched the theatrical trailer for this movie, I thought that was like a voiceover that they did later. However, Mm-mm. no, they took it from the actual movie uh, in describing how to market a movie like this. Uh, and that is, it is what it says it is going to be. Yes. So the director, Jean-Claude Lamar, um, has, he's made a lot of VOD films uh, and I don't want to come down too hard on the man. I think we're probably going to tease Chocolate City a fair bit because there are a lot of things in the movie that are hysterical. Um, <laughs> but this is a movie that was it was not going to theaters. It was never going to theaters. So there are technical things, like, for instance, just fading to black at the end of, like, an expositional breakfast scene that are pretty much unheard of in like professional contemporary filmmaking. <laughs> like you just sure. don't do that. It's not a church scene where you're like, that's not, that's not how you light that. Um, you don't want that wall. Or, like, to yeah, appear or they clearly didn't have the pastor the same day that they had the big crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I get it. I appreciate though, as silly as it is to admit in the beginning that very frankly, that this is just merely counter-programming based on a social critique of Magic Mike, which it totally deserves, um, I think opens the door for some, like, forgiveness for me for at least, like, you know, why we're here. Speaking of forgiveness, I'm going to talk about the things, one thing that I really, really liked about this movie. Great. 
one particular department that I just want to give a huge shout out to. And that department is the props department. One, I don't think a, I don't think money's ever looked more, more, most money. (laughs) This is the most money. Like sure. Like the shot in, um, breaking bad with like all the money in the, the room was a cool shot, but like it didn't, who I, I thought there was more money in this. It didn't uh, fly all over like confetti. It didn't fly all over like confetti. It didn't like create, like it was part of the oxygen in the room. It was unbelievable. Um, and then the other thing I loved, and we can get back to the money in a second, but the other prop that I loved was when, uh, Magnus, played by Darren DeWitt Henson, comes in trying to reconcile the fact that he's been kicked off the normal slate of strippers. And he comes in with this, like, this walking stick that is like a carved (laughs) elephant and it has like a big kind of loop at the top. And it, like, I thought he was going to strike him with it. Like I thought it was a, he was going to strike Michael Jai White with it because it was a weapon or something, but it's just this walking stick that he has. And then he leaves just as quickly with the, with his cane and incredible. Yeah, that's a great, I'm so glad you remembered that. Um, it's a very curious scene. And I believe at the end of the scene in which he's brandishing the walking stick he agrees to work the floor. Right. He's like, Michael Jai White's just like, nope, I'm not going to reconsider. And Magnus responds, my man. And then just takes the demotion. Yeah. Goes back to the minors. I will say, I don't, you don't see any non-stage stripping happening in Galactics. It, Is that the club's Clearly, called? it's a pretty minor role. Yeah. So minor that you don't you don't ever see it. The money thing is so funny. Um, <laughs> I have to ask because you're the only one of us who's ever been to a strip club in the journalistic capacity. Did did you see many people who were say I don't know thirty to fifty feet away from the stage, <laughs> just just like chucking money? money. <laughs> it just begs the question of like, so there's one scene where. Um, so the movie stars uh, Robert Richard as Michael, yep. right. Magic Michael, and uh, oh. he, at one one point he has like one of those one of those crates that you like get clementines in, and he's like putting the cash in there like after his acts. But otherwise, it's just like Tyson Beckford walking around with like a couple of like unmarked bags, being like, "I killed it tonight," and then. Bank of America kindly folded all the money and put it into these these two bags for me. Mm-hmm. Like I don't. It's so interesting how money is just like, and it it doesn't have any value. Like other than that one scene where the woman tries to like say that she's claiming her child support for that month from his right. tips, but it's like it's like one of those things at the like at the mall or the at a, at a, a carnival or something where they yeah. put you in the room where the money spins around you kind of like have to grab it but the point is you don't get all that money because it's very hard to do I will say this film for clearly being a straight to VOD effort I was surprised at the amount of star power considering oh, we yeah. got some Vivica a. Fox we got some Michael Jai White we got some we have a genuine 
it should be said off the top that the, the probably the biggest piece of Magic Mike reclama- reclamation is that Genuine himself strips to Pony in this film. Incredible. Worth the cost of admission alone. Is he as good at dancing as Channing Tatum? Not even in the same zip code. No. But it is his song, and there's a certain aura to that. There is a certain aura to him sort of half lip singing along <laughs> and sort of stripping to a song that he is famous for being the artist of record on. Yeah, the artist of record. And then later, he, in another scene that doesn't make a ton of sense, he says to Michael, he is like, he's trying to quit. He's being like, give me half the proceeds, Michael Jai White. Michael Jai White's like, no, can't do. He's like, well, then I'll go to another club. And we're just like, genuine. Are, are you the best stripper in town? What is being held hostage here? Right. I mean, clearly Michael Jai White saw what we saw, which was like, he's fine. He clearly has a fan base, but he's no the kid. He recorded Pony, but... He's no this sexy chocolate. It's not a singing contest. Look around here. We live in Chocolate City. Right. <laughs> the time of the pharaohs is over. That's his stripper name is Pharaoh. Very good. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this. When you saw Tyson Beckford on screen, did you sing the first line of the Blessed Union of Souls song, She Likes Me For Me? Not because I look like Tyson Beckford. <laughs> no, the but charm good, of Robert Redford oozing out good my pull. ears. Good pull. Um, yes, of course, Tyson Beckford, famous for the Ralph Lauren Polo um, adverts. But I actually thought he became... He sort of personified like kind of what the stripping is like in this movie, which is a lot like kind of music video dancing. Sure. Like a, a lot of pants remain on during... I was amazed how many pants were not removed in this right. film. And it's it has a little... I mean, he, you know, he also came up kind of doing like Tony Braxton music videos. And I think there is that... This is the kind of dancing um, that throughout like the 90s and aughts, like these guys would have appeared in a woman rapper's music video. It's Braxtonian for sure. <laughs> Love it. Well, well, A, you have to know that Tyson Beckford's going to be rude when he his stage name is Rude Boy. I mean, duh. He's exceedingly rude. For he is exceedingly rude. Still unknown to this day. Let me ask you this, Chance. And this really gets to, and I think it's fair to say that it takes a second for this movie to what I would call get going. Uh huh. When did you think it got going? It really is like an hour into this hour and 25 minute movie. Yeah. When Robert Richard, sexy chocolate is assaulted in the parking lot of the strip club. Mm hmm. now my question is this, who ordered the hit? Rude Boy. Was it Rude Boy? Because I found, I know there's a scene where Rude Boy pulls out his phone and is just like, hey, I've got a beat up job for you. Meet him in the parking <laughs> yeah. lot to beat him up. However, <laughs> I found my Chocolate City that? truth is that I think the brother was in on it. 
You think Chris? He has that weird thing where he's like, oh, I got to stay back and do this thing while you walk to the parking lot alone. Come on. I think it's real. I think it's real. D. Ray Davis is Chris. He's a real piece of shit. He's not super helpful. He's not. He refuses to get a job otherwise, whereas his little brother is actually working the minimum wage job for $137 every two weeks or whatever. And then they he both like live with their moms himself. in the Fox, which I don't think we've said yet. Um, oh, yeah, Vivica. Poor Vivica. Yeah. But, yeah, um, he's a real – and then he, like, he decides that he's the manager after – what you were complaining about with Magic Mike after the over, literally o- overnight success uh, of, well, this is what I didn't get to because they were like, they also pulled the thing of like, oh, it's amateur night. They're not expecting anything. But then like, it also seemed like a regular show. Like Every the only amateur out there was Sexy Chocolate. Right. Are you sure that DJ Carmen Electra didn't order the hit? Oh, she's terrible. She's so bad. It's like, I don't think I've ever, like, just reading, all she has to say is, in some scenes, like, sexy chocolate, yo! And she can't, she can't, she can't do that. No. There are probably podcast ads that took longer to record than the time they had her in that booth while filming. I think she was probably in that booth for 15 minutes. Yeah, she definitely had, like, a one day on set because you don't see her she doesn't exist like fluffy does in magic mike which we didn't say the dj in that one is gabriel gabriel iglesias yeah aka fluffy the comedian from online and the meat space as well Mm -hmm. but yeah carmen doesn't like never leaves the beach with them she's not like in the house i love the suggestion that uh she has uh literal turntables back there that she's scratching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, somehow I just don't think that's needed to cue up Pony. Vivica A. Fox, so I texted you about this chance earlier. Do you think there is a universe in which this movie is a spiritual sequel to Independence Day in that Vivica A. Fox has given up stripping since the events of Independence Day? Will Smith's died for whatever. I mean, in Independence Day Resurgence, he's dead. So maybe this is even a sequel to Independence Day Resurgence. Uh where stripping I think it becomes... compares quite favorably to Independence Day Resurgence. Uh, yeah. Shot for shot remake. Um, yeah, in which she's like kind of, she she has turned her back on this life and doesn't want her kids to do it despite their striking beauty. Uh, yeah. But then is ultimately understanding and remembers what drew her to the stage to begin with. Mm-hmm. I'm sure somebody made that joke when they cast her. Probably. But yeah, she's just kind of, she's church lady in this one. Um, she's uncomfortable that uh, Michael's coming home with cash. She thinks that he's dealing drugs. He has left his Magnum condom next to her Bible on at least one occasion. And that's unfortunate. For, I didn't like that values. as an indicator of like, <laughs> not only is he not that careful with his leaving his birth control around he's, the home he shared with his mother. He also is hung like a horse. You said the hang was good. Why does... why? <laughs> well, okay, so th- I texted you this too, like when you were like, does this movie have a plot? And I'm like, well, 
it it makes a second act problem like the only plot in the third act which is like what are the women in his life because of their intimate connection to him and because of their socio-political values going to think of the fact that he's stripping and that's really like something that you would hope would get figured out somewhere around the midpoint of the movie like end of the second act and you're just kind of waiting the entire time um to see what they make of it but then of course this movie's script is not up to like building actual characterization around what the job or the empowerment of being a stripper really means to michael so he right you know he goes from like being amazing at it both the first time and every time after that to like any time any woman mom girlfriend anybody asks him like so what are you doing he's just like uh working with kids like cannot even get close to dealing with telling them and it has that thing that happens it happens in movies all the time farces and otherwise where it's like will you please just tell the fucking truth? Like it was not necessary to lie for this long and it's preposterous that you are still lying. Well, also like the money doesn't make any difference. Like on a script level, like that's the problem I had is like he gets beaten up and his money gets taken, but it's like, well, I'm just going to do it again tomorrow night and I'm going to have no consequences because the only amount of money I needed was $350 for the electric bill. And now I've paid that off. uh, And now I bought a Mercedes. Like I didn't, I, I think there there's the two level of like one, I don't get like what Mike gets out of stripping, as you just said, but I also right. don't get on a script level like what he's getting. Like he's he's like bad at school now, but still flipping burgers, but also very wealthy. But also like no one seems to notice how wealthy he is. Um I don't know. Like what is his dream? Like I I wished the there would have been more of a, like, I just want to go to Paris and live in France and do whatever. Like, why is he in those French classes? Like I similarly felt like French was more than I was expecting, but I didn't like, that wasn't a, you know, a major turning point in me deciding to like keep stripping or not. Right. Did you ever have to take a meeting with your French teacher who constantly put his motorcycle helmet and leather jacket on the podium? Yes. I was constantly getting called into the French professor's office. Noah, were you aware that uh, the director of this film, Jean-Claude Lamar, who who appears as the preacher, right? Pastor Jones, did you know this? Oh my God, really? Not only that, my friend. Pastor Jones, (laughs) of course, is a recurring character throughout his filmography as a sort of attempted a Medea-type career pastor jones uh i think first appeared in the 2005 film pastor jones then in the 2006 (laughs) film pastor jones to lord guide my 16 year old daughter then twice in 2008 with pastor jones sisters in spirit don't touch if you ain't prayed to pastor jones samuel and delia samson and delilah come on pick up a bible you godless piece of shit it just says it just says D E L I A. That's not Delilah. There's not enough L's. Oh, maybe it's Delia. So fuck off, you piece of shit. <laughs> Pastor Jones preaching to the choir. Pastor Jones, my sister loves you. Pastor Jones, the complete first season. That sounds like TV. Uh, what men think? The sins of Deacon Wiles. Assistant motives. <laughs> and then Pastor Jones, of course, appears in Chocolate City and Chocolate City Two Vegas Strip. 
I love that. What did uh, you make of the character so- of Pastor Jones? Did it make a big impression on you? <laughs> I mean, he is clearly like the the moral backbone of. <laughs> Come on, I thought he was more of a. Did you think he was a satirical character? I thought he was like a throwaway, just like establishing this community and their ethics kind of. I didn't. I didn't really. I can't say that I thought a lot about him. In that scene where the choir was digitally added behind him, and he was talking about like how he had recently hung out with Chris Brown, and then later when Vivica A. Fox comes and is like, "I think that Michael may be a drug dealer," and he's like, "Well, kids these days and their social media, you know how it can be." I thought that was supposed to be funny. I cannot. I thought it say was too because sure. she was like, no, okay. "No, no, it's not social media. In fact, social media plays no role in this film whatsoever." No, in fact, it would make more sense if it did. Physical posters <laughs> for the strip club. Yeah. Okay. One more thought. Please. Michael J. White really should have fought somebody in this movie, or at least, like, yeah, broken something up. I found it un- broken a rain stick in half. Yeah, he should have broken that elephant rain stick in half. Um, the fact that he also like doesn't he like isn't the arbiter of like sort of some King Solomon's justice or something over the fact that Tyson Beckford has hired people to beat up sexy chocolate is one of the biggest failings of this film. Right. And also, okay, if we're not going to have an actual fight, at least give me like a Michael Jai White striptease that incorporates martial arts of some kind. Exactly. The penultimate stripping uh, in Magic Mike is Matthew McConaughey. A peeking gi, perhaps? Oh, a peeking gi. (laughs) Um, I could get on board for that. when When he walks into the bathroom when he meets Michael for the first time, the way that Michael Jai White walks into a bathroom is like, he's going to fucking kill who's ever in that bathroom. <laughs> and that en- that energy cannot be set aside, no matter what character he's playing. Chance, this may shock you, but I think this movie is a bad, bad. It is. It It doesn't even seem to take that much pleasure in the dancing, which I think is a huge problem. I will say, however, it does take a morbid fascination with the dancers staring directly into the camera, (laughs) which is such an odd and unnerving choice. (laughs) Well, it was an interesting, like, you know, this and Magic Mike sort of posit that, like, the most successful stripper will form a seemingly personal connection with an audience member. Um, But... Yeah, the sort of Jonathan Demi literalization of that idea really put it to the test for me of like, do I want um, Bolo to form a personal connection with me as I sit here I, having I'm also confused as to why play. Bolo was called Bolo. I When someone Wait. mentioned Bolo, I was like, oh, he's like a guy from Texas who wears a Bolo tie. And then he was like literally wearing like a piece of Home Depot chain. Like, not even connected, just like a scarf of metal. (laughs) Tell me, tell me you saw. There's a moment when Bolo appears that he does several back handsprings. Yes. 
and very clearly falls off the stage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why were they unable to cut before my man fell off the stage? Yeah, he does not stick like the third one. Can I read you some of the people who appear in Vegas Strip? Please. Okay. Would you believe that Michael Jai White reprises his role as Princeton? Hopefully taking I on would a believe larger that. role. All right. Would you believe that Genuine is in it again? So he comes back for more. He does. He searches around for a, 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 a better strip club and can't find it, is what you're saying? Freelance lifestyle didn't treat him well. Uh, Mackay Pfeiffer joins the crew. Stop. Best Valentine is the name of his person. Magnus is still in. <laughs> what? Do you think he's got his walking stick? Mel B, Scary Spice. Incredible. She's in. Um, former Charlotte Hornets slash LA Clippers point guard Baron Davis is uh, Jacob the Comedian. Uh, oh. Kiersey Clemens is in it. God. But the... Uh, <laughs> Of course, of course, Jean-Claude Lamar is Pastor Jones in the second one. Um, the two that really got me are appearing as themselves, Lil Yachty and Don yep. Lemon. <laughs> of course, Don Lemon. They're in Vegas. Does Don do Lemon have he... a connection to Vegas? No, I don't know. Do, does he do like a report on it? Like, how does it? That would be great. You're talking about the CNN correspondent. I sure am. Nice. This just in, sexy chocolate come to town, turning everything into a chocolate city. Anderson Cooper is live in a windbreaker, <laughs> reporting on on-the-ground conditions in Chocolate City. Anderson. Yeah. He's just getting danced on. Pelted by, like, Willy Wonka Chocolate River. Oh, he's getting danced on. Okay. Well, this has just been such a treat. It has. If I could bend you over and put a... <laughs> Single dollar bill into this strap of whatever kind of underwear you're wearing, I would. Because I have had a great time. <laughs> there's uh, there's 9,999 more of those where that came from. <laughs> As we said at the beginning of the show, it's a sex positive category. And I everything my friend has said to me is... Totally above board. Um, wow. What a good time. Um, all the Magic Mikes and Magic Michaels out there. All right, buddy. Take care. How much for the Cheetos and water? <laughs> <laughs>